Welcome to the latest episode of Digital Health Matters, the podcast for everyone who wants to hear from digital health thought leaders about the hot topics, innovations and emerging technologies in healthcare. I'm your host, Pat Burns, Healthcare Growth Director at 6B Digital. And today I am delighted to be joined by Mohammed and Sally, Chief Exec and Chief Commercial Officer, respectively, at Patients Know Best. So this is a first for us in that it's the first time that we've had a client on the podcast and we are absolutely thrilled to partner with PKB as a tech partner delivering bespoke integrations with electronic patient record systems across primary care. So thank you ever so much for wanting to get involved in the first place. And yeah, so I guess most people in our world are very familiar with PKB, but for those who haven't heard of your organization, can you give our listeners an introduction as to who you are and what you do, both on an individual level, but obviously more importantly, from a from an organisational level? I'll start, Sally, and you can uh, fill in. So I'm, I'm Mohammed. I'm the uh, CEO and co-founder of Patients Know Best. We are Europe's largest personal health records company. Uh, our largest market is the UK. So what that means is that NHS providers or NHS uh, regions, ICSs, uh, pay us to show their data to the patient. Uh, so they release um, their appointments, their letters, their test results. Uh, we release about 20 million test results a month to patients, for example. Uh, the reason they do that is obviously it's wonderful for the patient, it's the right thing to do for the patient, but fundamentally a patient who sees their data is cheaper to look after. Uh, so they help themselves and they end up helping the NHS as well. Um, but that's our background. We're uh, a personal health records company uh, and it's integrated into the NHS app and receives data from all the providers and the patients in one record um, for, for the patient's health. So Mo's, Mo's obviously explained what we do. Mm -hmm. Oh no, I was just going to say, Mohammed's explained what we do um, as a company and obviously he's being modest because Mohammed's not only our CEO but he founded PKB and this is his mission to make patients, um, have patients be more empowered and play a more active role for the benefit of themselves and for healthcare providers uh, and my role within the company, as well as keeping Mohammed honest, which is why why I'm here to keep us on track today, is to um, is to make sure that we really understand our, our market and make sure we're aligning to the needs of that market. So whilst what we do as a company is really straightforward in principle, it's all about sharing data with patients, collecting data from patients and working collaboratively, the product has got to adapt over time to very specific needs of our market. So how digital was used during COVID massively changed and we had to make sure that our product was um, still responsive to the needs of those users, both the patients and, and the professionals that are using it. So um, myself and my team, our job as well as promoting Mohammed's mission and his vision and, and trying, trying to make as many people believe in that and, and start to implement that as possible is to make sure that we're really serving our customers and, and delivering what they need to make meaningful, meaningful impact in, in the best and, and fastest possible way. Fab, thank you both. And yeah, that, that piece around um, product changes and product adapting uh, to, to user needs is something that we'll come on to a bit further down the line. But that, I think everyone, uh, everyone across the industry really buys into your mission, Mohammed. And I think that that's it, it, like it, it's something that's really endearing about PKB. So yeah, PKB as an organization is all about patient empowerment, right? So how can digital health solutions like PKB empower patients to take an active role in managing their own healthcare? 
Um, shall I start again? So um, uh, I just tell you from my personal experience. Um, so just, just forget records, forget technology. Uh, when a nurse came, uh, called Helen came by and taught me how to inject myself. So I have a rare disease and every week I inject myself with antibodies. Uh, when she taught me how to do that, um, that was amazing for me. I, I became independent. I could get to university, I could get a job, I could get married. Uh, but I also helped the NHS a huge amount because I wasn't taking up a bed day every week. Uh, and so uh, information kind of takes that to the next level. Um, we already trust lots of patients with that in um, physical technology, the diabetics who inject themselves, the kidney dialysis patients who do dialysis at home, um, the, just the millions of people who take inhalers, take, take pills and so on. Uh, so if you give them the information to understand what's happening, uh, to see what's happening in their body and to know what they're supposed to do about it. Um, the, the patients are ready. Um, they just need the data to do so. Uh, but also when they do that, um, they deliver better care and they free up capacity for those who need help uh, more directly. Um, so that that's the fundamental uh, sort of everybody wins uh, theory of change um, of that if you empower the patient, you, you help everybody in, in the healthcare system. And actually, if you look at some of the basic things that take up time and cause stress for patients, for, for frontline staff, um, if you're someone that gets test results, I mean, we, we, we've all been there, right? We've all had to go for either tests at the GPs or, you know, if you get referred to hospital, there is nothing worse than sitting and waiting, not knowing when will someone contact me? When will I find out that information? And then um, what does that information actually mean? So say you do get some kind of bad news, you might be in shock when you're told that. How do you refer back? How do you make sure you've got an accurate record that you can go back and relook at that information in a safe environment with people around you that can support you, like your family, to say, okay, you know, this was my blood test. I know the doctor told me this, but I, I didn't actually take it on board. I didn't really know what it meant. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing now because it was all a bit of a blur when I found that out. So if you can start to automate some of those processes so that if you are someone that gets regular test results, actually, you know the system will message you as soon as your results ready. You then don't have to ring your uh, team every week, take up the <laughs> the receptionist time to say, are my results ready? What, what are they? And keep repeatedly doing that. You start to make all of these savings, but actually for a patient, the experience is just so much better in, the anxiety that it takes away from you that's un unnecessary if we can automate some of these things um it's so easy to do and actually the the over the years i would say when i, I started at pkb seven years ago people thought we were crazy wanting to give test results to patients it was just it was just unheard of whereas now there is um a real i think a real drive from patients the biggest complaint we get in pkb is when people say I've logged in and my data's not there. Why? Why is it not there? And that's such a complicated answer that we have to say to them. Well, we don't actually get it for you. We're working with your healthcare teams. You know, we're all on this journey together. But actually, I think it says so much that patients want that data. They want to know that it's coming. The peace of mind that it gives them is the complete opposite to the anxiety that people think a patient will feel from getting that kind of information online. online. It's a real lifeline and resource for some people especially if that's something that happens to you regularly you don't want to keep having to ring up to find out when you're going to get those results it's just an overhead for the patient that they don't that they don't need
Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think um, that that whole piece around uh, improving the anxiety of patients around helping them with their health data is is obviously key to key to what you're doing. And I, I guess I would be surprised if one of the challenges that that PKB gets isn't around my next point is that you know obviously when it comes to patient empower, uh, empowerment one thing that's really key is data security and patient privacy so with the use of digital platforms for healthcare on the rise what measures do PKB take to ensure data security and patient privacy and, and why is data protection so important to you guys go on Mo this is definitely one for you yeah sure so um, you know, when I started uh, in 2008, uh, what I was looking at in terms of the technology and the things that are available, the basic problem for doing this was one of trust. Uh, so everybody agreed that if this happened, it would be a great idea, but nobody trusted who would be the party that would manage all that data in the middle. Um, and that was just uh, costing everyone time and money. Uh, so from the beginning, we focused on the, the trust around the security. Um, so from the beginning, that included all the uh, servers, how we store the data, how we encrypt it so that no one can access it except the patient and the people the patient wants to access it like their providers. Uh, and certainly no one um, from PKB can get to the data. But the trust, you have to keep on uh, adding layers on top, um, which include the sort of financial trust as well as the technical trust. So uh, every contract we um, sign with the customers, all, all of the contracts that we put forward outside obviously the framework from the HS are that the data that comes in is owned by the patient, that the patient's the one deciding where that data gets moved around. Um, we set up PKB as um, a company with a social mission. We bake that into the articles of association. So we operate as a social enterprise. So all these things uh, layer on trusts that People know actually every layer of security, whether it's uh, the the corporation, the financials, and the technicals. Every layer that that is baked in, because the flip side uh, to security uh, is it's not one one half is making sure the wrong person doesn't get access to your record, but the other half of security, and this is more and more apparent the sicker you are, is making sure the right person does get access to your record. So for your safety, when you turn up in A and E, you want all the right people to see your data. Uh, when you make that phone call, when you uh, speak to the nurse that knows your illness or your child's illness, you need them to see everything. Uh, so to get to that stage, you have to the, have the initial trust around the prevention of access, and then you facilitate the ensuring of access of all the people who are helping you. That, I, yeah, I totally agree. And that, that, that piece around trust is it's such an in interesting way of putting it because trust is such a difficult thing to obtain and such an easy thing to lose if you if you do anything wrong so i, I can only imagine the the challenges that that's posed uh, throughout your journey and i also love the piece around the social mission which is is something that i'll come on to talk or, or to ask you about um later on so as you know you know a, a bit of a bit of a self plug here actually so 6b supports our clients with challenges around interoperability within healthcare systems. Can I ask about the importance of interoperability for, for PKB and why, why that's so important to you guys? I think our mission as a company doesn't work without it, it, interoperability underpinning it. 
So um, I've worked with a lot of companies uh, over, over my kind of just over a decade now working in digital health. And it's very easy to say that you've got the right intention, but not underpin it uh, by meaningful actions. And that's one thing that I've always been really proud of. In fact, it was one of the reasons that I really wanted to come and work at PKB um, was the openness and the transparency of everything PKB does. So I've never met another company like PKB that we publish all of our APIs online. We've got written processes for how people interact with those APIs. We obviously have to do due diligence of them. People can't just go wild. There is a lot of process around them being able to use it, but we publish all of that because what's core to our mission that Mohammed's actually just talked about is it's not just about securing data, but it's about data being able to be accessed by the right people at the right time. That's not always through PKB. And we'd be so ignorant to think that it is. Sometimes that data needs to be accessed in an EPR. Sometimes it needs to be accessed in a data warehouse. Sometimes it needs to be accessed. We obviously work with the NHS app. Now, while PKB plugs into the app, we know that that's some people's preferred user interface to go and access that data. And it's really remiss of companies to think the data is belonging to them. And we've never done that. That data goes where it needs to go for the benefit of the patient and the benefit of the way healthcare is delivered. And that doesn't work without interoperability. Now, I'm not um, unrealistic, and I, I think you have to be realistic working in this landscape that you can't do everything all at once. You can't implement every single standard that you want immediately because that takes time, it takes money, it takes just general understanding. So when we started on our journey of transitioning uh, lots of things about our platform over to Fire four years ago, Fire itself wasn't mature. There was some stuff there that we wanted to do it and we just couldn't because things weren't there to underpin that. But you should always be doing your best efforts and on a journey to make that happen. And I think that that's, that, that's, that's core to whether, for me, the NHS actually um, succeeds in what it's, it's trying to do. And that dependency goes back to suppliers and the people that work in the NHS and people recognising that for, for the benefit of patients and for the benefit of the way healthcare is delivered, you can't have monopolies of, of organisations that lock that data in. It has got to be able to flow appropriately and safely and securely, but it's got to be in, underpinned by by those standards, and everybody should have that as part of their mission if they're working uh, working to support healthcare. You're okay. Go on, man. I'll just add about the the first time I met Paul, um, CEO at Six B. Um, so I, I uh, that interpret is so important, like Sally's saying, and it's so complicated in every different health economy. We operate across multiple countries. And what I liked about um, 6B in general and Paul in particular is, first of all, they went through our APIs very quickly. Uh, so we'd, we'd publish them, they read them, I could tell they read them. Uh, and then we could have a very creative conversation with Paul because I could tell him what I was trying to achieve. And he'd say, well, here's, you could have API 1, 3 and 7 from NHS Digital and maybe that could do this, maybe that could do that. So it was a very fluid conversation around um, what the best way is to make our system work with other people's system to, to facilitate the data flowing uh, in two directions. Uh, but like Sally's saying, that interoperability is key. The data has to go to wherever the patient needs it to go. Uh, and that may, means working with other people's systems. You're right. And I think that having that mindset of for the benefit of the patient is, is absolutely paramount. 
And I'm sure that if Paul was on this uh, on this recording, that you would be making him blush there, Mohammed. So um, thank you so much for that. Um, but so I, I guess a lot of our listeners would view PKB as a pioneer and a disruptor in the digital health space for obvious reasons. But I, I've absolutely no doubt that that comes with the scars to prove it. So can you talk around some of the challenges that you found when implemented, implementing Patients Know Best within NHS organisations and how you've overcome these? I'll, I'll start I'll start with my version. I think me and, me and Mohammed will have, we have a lot of joint scars, but we probably have individual scars and different takes on them as well. So it'll be interesting to see how our answers differ here. Um, I think the challenges have changed over time. So eight years ago, um, well, nearly eight years ago when I started at PKB, seven years or so ago, I think it was very much a philosophical debate. Is this the right thing to do or is it not the right thing to do? That was very hard. That was really challenging. Um, and this is, I mean, Mohammed's been doing this for double the amount of time that I have. So I'm sure that seven years before that, Mo, it was an even harder philosophical debate, whereas it's definitely going in the right direction. So that was very, very uh, challenging. It's definitely moving now. There are not many people that think it's the wrong thing to do. The nervousness is normally around um, not do we do it, but how do we do it? How do we do it safely? And actually the biggest barrier I think we've got to doing this at scale um, is just the lack of support that the NHS gets for programmes like this. And I'll caveat that, that it, it's getting better. There has never been a more exciting year, I think, for digital and especially for digital that is patient-facing digital. I, I've never seen as much investment going into um, our sector as I've seen this year, which is fantastic. But it all takes time. And the NHS is so overwhelmed at the moment has such a backlog is in crisis in so many places to do with workforce to do with um you know delivery of services to do with those backlogs it's it's just it's a really really difficult situation for them and i hugely feel for them because even if they and most of them do they obviously buy pkb because they really agree with what we're trying to do is there the people on the ground and the resources on the ground to understand how to do change management and to implement the kind of change that we're doing uh, or, or looking to do at scale, not not really. And, and like I say, there is resource being made available, but it all just it all takes time, and it's very difficult when you're balancing out. This hospital's got a hole in its roof. This hospital needs to implement an EPR for the clinicians. Does the EPR for the patients ever get seen as business as usual or as critical as the? as the hole in the roof or as the the lack of EPR for the clinicians. It, it just doesn't. And I think that's a very difficult place for people to be in when they want to do the right thing, but it's just not got the same level of, of focus as other programmes. And um, I do feel more optimistic than I ever have in that focus is going onto these, resources is being put into these. I think as more and more benefits come out, we'll have no choice but to accept that these are critical components of how we need to deliver care going forward. And it's actually nothing to do with digital. Digital is just the enabler. The, the real change that I think is being recognised um, is the role of the patient and how we have to work with patients differently because the NHS will not survive if, if we don't. Patients have to become a more active participant. They have to be seen as a provider of their own care. And we can't do that without digital to underpin it because 
it, it, it's a it's a really big problem to face. So I, I would say that's still the biggest challenge that we've got. But I will caveat it with saying we're going in the right direction and there's the right investment being made to support the change that needs to happen. Um, but it's been a long it's been a long journey to get here, and I think we still have a long way way to go. I know you've probably got very different scars to me, Mohammed, but that's my uh, that's my scar that's lessening as time goes on. Yeah, Pat, I'll give you the old man scar. So, but what Sally's been tremendous at in the company is scaling us up. Um, so, if I tell you about the scars from the startup, just being allowed to do what you're trying to do in the first place in the early days. So, and, and I was remembering that yesterday because I met this lady uh, at an event, and she said to me, "You're like patients like me." Uh, and actually, I, I spent. I told her I spent most of the first three years. Every meeting I get, the first half an hour saying. No, it's called patients know best, but it's not like patients like me. No, we're not selling the patient's data to the pharma companies. Quite the opposite. The patient owns the data and it's all locked down and so on. Uh, then the next arguments were, well, patients know best is just a stupid name. Uh, they don't know best. And uh, again, I'd have to spend the other half an hour trying to explain uh, that patients know best is the mission, not a statement what's actually the case. But what got, was really interesting is the people who actually did like that name uh, were the champions that got us going. Um, I used to work at the National Institutes of Health in the USA. They uh, spend $50 billion a year on medical research. And I read this book about the congressman who first got it funded. Um, and they said that they thought of NIH as a noble conspiracy. So I think of PKB the same way. It's basically uh, some benevolent people who are trying to do the right thing. Um, the system is often against doing the right thing. So they're just trying to make strategic bets that the thing happens uh, in the right pace. So uh, I remember the first um, consultant who used this was called Susan Hill. Uh, and her attitude was she'd been asking for something like PKB for five years. And I saw her just you know, find a little bit of budget for 35 children she was looking after. And I gave her all these ideas about things that we can do and she said, yep, all I want to do is just send letters to the patients because they get lost in the post and the GP doesn't get them. Then she calls me the next day and says, um, I sent five letters and one of the mums messaged me back and said there's an error in the letter. And I've been a consultant for 10 years. No one's corrected me. I know my letters are full of errors, just no one corrects me. But it was so easy to come back in PKB that they've taught me. And then she says to me, what else can I send? So that attitude of actually the fastest way to fix the data is to have the patients look at it with you. Uh, and I need to fix the data. It's important for those patients' safety. Um, really, it was being allowed to work with people like that to get that noble conspiracy up and running, to bring this to as many people as possible uh, with every scale. So uh, th those were kind of the hard things in the beginning, uh, was being allowed to work with those people. Such a fascinating story. And I bet, yeah, th those those now seemingly small wins but back then you know obviously obviously massive to you guys made it sort of all worth it and and all you know feeding into that feeding into that mission um really really interesting so yeah one question that we really that we always love to ask our guests is around the future of of digital health so yeah we'd love to hear your views on some some of the emerging technologies and trends that PKB is excited about and how these technologies can transform the future of healthcare delivery and patient experience? 
so it won't come as a surprise um when we look when I, when I mentioned things like AI and, and and RPA solutions I think they're really exciting but I would like to caveat it with saying uh they're not to the point where everybody thinks they are yet so AI is the buzzword uh, is the, it's the buzz, buzzword of the moment I think everybody loves to put AI on everything um it's it's not there the technology's not there we've got a long way to go and actually the whole point of ai is that it takes time for ai to develop it is it is learning right it as a system itself is learning and you can't go from day 1 of knowing day, knowing nothing to day 2 knowing everything we have to give these programs time to grow and evolve and learn safely um so i think they have huge huge potential to do things both at an individual level but also at a population health level to really look at the kind of trends that we've not been able to uh, see before and start to put some analysis on that and look at ways that we can engage to make the changes that we need to make so I think again this is going to be it's going to be a long journey on how we implement some of these uh, some of these programs that people are looking to stand up how we harness this technology and the worst thing that we could do is actually go so fast on it that it fails and we then get scared and we completely back away from that technology again. So I think there's got to be a mutual um, appreciation, but also a respect for the fact that this is an emerging field and it's emerging technology and we have to approach it carefully and in a considered way and give it the time to, to grow and grow safely with experts guiding that. Um, but I do think that the impact that this is going to be able to have for years to come is going to be huge and um and really long standing and it's well it's everywhere isn't it you know every every event you go to every conference there's there's always a um some presentation around around ai or multiple in in, in fact so yeah yeah in, intriguing um but i think the the interesting thing for me is enabling uh, innovators with new ideas to come and fix healthcare uh, so I see a lot of my job is to uh, liberate data from hospital uh, basements, basically, so that the people who have got new ideas can actually get them in front of patients. Uh, so to this morning, for example, I was with um, an online pharmacy called Pill Sorted. Uh, so they're really good. Um, you can nominate them in the NHS app and then they'll do home delivery. And they were showing me um, their, they don't just give you the pills. They put them in little slots with color coded, which one you take at tea time, which one you take every day. And then they give you a piece of paper printout showing you which, uh, what each pill looks like, when to take it and so on. I'm just that it's really simple, right? It's not AI, but my GP isn't going to tell me what to do. And my pharmacist doesn't have time to say, but this comes to me every day uh, with this. And I was just thinking, how can I get this in the hands of patients? Well, uh, they're digital, we're digital. We're in the NHS app. We've got NHS login. So, uh, what can we do together? Um, and we can just so we just sat in the morning brainstorming. Well, you could send this data, and I could show it to this patient on the screen. And if they do this thing, that could go back. And if you send the dispensing and consumption data, the GP could get access to it. And it's just being able to have those conversations uh, would just increase safety and decrease costs so much. Uh, if you've got it around the patient and if you've got uh, APIs and you've got a mindset of we want to work together rather than we want to lock things down. Uh, and so to me, that's the that's the that's the fun of the next few years that because we've, we've 
won the argument around the data must move. We've won the argument around the patient must have it. We've won the argument around interoperability. And now, now you've got all these innovators coming in and really putting completely new ideas in, in, in the hands of patients. Yeah, amazing. And it's all around those sort of real world problems, which again, I'll come on to, to, to ask you about um, shortly. But you, you mentioned there around um, your job being, uh, how did you put it, liberating, liberating data from the from the from hospital basements and, and yeah. sort of putting it in there in the hands of patients. So, yeah, we touched around your mission of empowering patients to access their own data. So can I ask what's the significance of patients having access to their own health data and the ability to con- to control its usage and and after that what impact does that have on clinician decision making so uh, i think what the healthcare system hasn't understood is that the because of long-term conditions um the the latest and largest healthcare provider is actually the patient uh, so it's the patient who takes the medication or not. It's them who change their diet and take, do the exercise or not. And the majority of healthcare spending is on conditions where what the patient does is what matters. If you have uh, appendicitis, what the surgeon does is what matters. But if you have uh, diabetes, if you have asthma, it's what you do the vast the 8,000 hours a year where you're not in front of a doctor. That's what matters for, for your outcomes. Uh, so on the one hand, for you to know what to do, you need to have the data. Uh, but on the other hand, if you do have the data, uh, you do it much better than than the professional possibly can. Because what we know from healthcare delivery is uh, the sooner and closer you do the intervention, the cheaper and safer it is. So if you wait until it gets so bad that you come to A&E, um, then you know, theatre may be the next step. But if you just do the thing up front at home every day when it matters, then it's uh, it's safe, it's cost effective, uh, all kinds of miseries avoided. Uh, and and who's uh, who can do it soonest and closest? Well, it's the patient. So uh, not every patient can do it, but those who can do it, do it better. Uh, and so really it's about enabling to do so. I, I think a lot of people think of patient empowerment as uh, you know giving power to the patient, and, and it is, uh, but it's also about the patient shouldering responsibility. Uh, it's it's unleashing a huge workforce alongside the professionals who are struggling with all the uh, load that they're having to uh, operate under. Uh, so really it's about um, bringing all those uh, assets, these patients uh, into the healthcare system for, for society's benefit. Um, the, the, the final thing for me is agency. Uh, so uh, it really matters if you think that what you do matters uh, so if you're just sitting back and thinking, well, um, the NHS will do this for me or the, it's the doctor's job to do something. Uh, not, not only is that um, you're missing out on what you can do, but actually uh, you, you're missing out on the benefits of knowing that you can do things. Um, you know, we see that in uh, being the one who votes, being the one who owns your house, being the ones that has a job. All those things, agency really matters for people's quality of life. Um, and the same thing it is in, in healthcare. If you can give people the agency, the, the, the power over their destiny, uh, f- fundamentally, that's, that's our social mission. That's what, that's what we're about. And, and actually, I mean, I know you've mentioned around long-term conditions there, right? And you're, you're, Mo, you're right, Mo, because of the, the prevalence of them. But actually, if you take that same methodology and apply it in lots of the areas where we've got uh, issues and backlogs at the moment, it, it, this theory 
applies across so many different ways. So if you look at someone that is on a wait list for, you know, possibly up to two years now before they need surgery for something that is not a chronic condition, you just need surgery. But actually, you don't understand that your behaviors while you're waiting for that surgery impact the outcome of your surgery. So for example, you know, if you're waiting for a hip replacement or a knee replacement, do you even know that how you look after yourself in the run up to that uh, surgery impacts on how well that surgery is going to go, your recovery time afterwards, how long that hip is going to last for you, how long that knee is going to last for you. It's basic access to information that can just really change the way people think about their responsibilities. So um, uh, this is a sneak preview. Mohammed written a blog which will be published this week and he said something in it. And um, I was like, oh, do we say that? It's a bit controversial. So Mo was talking about the five, five, five areas of issue. And one of them is ignorance of patients. And I was thinking, oh, I don't know how well this is going to be received, but we don't mean it. Um, we don't mean it as ignorance, um, as a criticism of patients. This is where the system is letting patients down because they're ignorant through lack of access to information, not ignorance, ignorant through choice. This is, this is a societal problem, right? We, we have created ignorance as a, as a nation because we've not uh, built the system in a way that people expect to receive this information and know that there is an expectation on them to do something with it. So again, if you look at something like um, people on wait lists for, for a hip replacement, like I was saying, if you give them information while they're on that wait list, that really just spells out in basic terms, here's the benefit if you try and get some exercise, here's the benefit if you try and keep your weight to this, not, not just for the benefit of the, the operation itself, but actually, if you do these things, here's how your recovery is going to benefit. Here is how you, how much longer you might be able to have have that joint last for you it's quite simple stuff but if people don't know it we can't expect them to act on it right so and that's and that has impact not just for the patient but again it has impact for the for the system if you can discharge people earlier following an operation because you're giving them supported information pers ideally personalized information that they feel empowered and have the agency to act on you're saving the NHS that that capacity, but you're also just improving that person's quality of life. You know, they're not in hospital for as long. They have better quality of life when they get home because they can bake those practices into how they live their life. And at that point, you're not just talking about illness, you're actually talking about wellness. And this is really um, something I feel quite passionate about. And, and I, I would hope, because I'm, um, I hope I have quite a few years left ahead of me that actually within my lifetime we get the opportunity to flip um the way that we look at healthcare and be able to focus more on prevention and wellness than the current um situation we've got which is so aligned around illness and we have to do that because of the backlogs we've got in the situation we're in but i think there's a real opportunity for liberating that data as we say it and engaging the patient around it to really flip back to a more sustainable model of health and well-being which is to really drive the well-being as early as early as we can yeah fascinating insights and it makes it, it does make so much sense um so yeah I, I guess a key a key talking point throughout well throughout our conversation today but also throughout our our podcast series so far 
is that of the importance of user feedback and real world evidence when building digital health products? You know, first we had um, Liz Ashall Payne of Orca and then Matt Newman from the NHS Innovation Service talking around that importance of real world evidence and, and, and user feedback, both from clinicians, but also importantly, patients. You know, you spoke at the beginning, Sally, around how you'd had to change and adapt uh, during COVID, I think it was that you said. But yeah, I'd love to hear how PKB incorporates user feedback to, you know, continuously improve your platform to ensure a user-friendly experience for patients and healthcare providers. I want to split this into two, if that's okay. And I'm sure Mohammed will have things that he wants to land on here. I think um, there's two components to what makes our platform useful. One is how we design the platform itself. So how it presents information, how it prompts patients to do things, how it notifies patients when there's new information, or all of those kind of very product heavy features. Um, they're great. They only work when there is data for the product to act on. So we have to do two things. One, we have to make sure the product is designed in that way. And I'll do a plug for um, a wonderful lady in our company called Ruth and a gentleman called Peter. They're on our product team. Um, they head up all of our UX stuff. They have a wonderful part on our uh, manual for patients and for our professional users where we try and promote the fact that we genuinely really want that feedback. We collate it from everywhere people leave reviews on PKB, um, all the feedback that we get through our, our support team, we genuinely collate all that. And I'm not saying we can act on it tomorrow, but we build that into a big plan that spans, you know, months and years where we try and say, right, what's going to have the most meaningful impact for as many people as possible? What are the real problems? How do we drive all that? So we 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 genuinely want that feedback. And Pad, maybe if I send you the link to that, we can promote that with a podcast. But it's really important to us to get that feedback to be able to act on it. But the second part, the data. So as I mentioned, PKB is, think of us as a, a conduit or a steward or an, a steward or an advocate for, for patients. And the hardest and most important part of our job is doing that bit I mentioned at the beginning, which is being able to advocate for patients to healthcare providers to say they need this data. Our platform, it does have benefit without the data, patients can add their own data and there's huge value in them tracking some of that information. But the real, real value comes when you can combine things a patient has inputted themselves alongside the data from healthcare providers. And then patients start to get this proper picture of their health and well-being with everything sat in one place. And that feedback is the thing that I take, I guess, most personally and what really drives me every single day when I'm talking about PKB, because I genuinely believe that people need access to that information and I genuinely believe that it's PKB's job to go and educate the world on how to do that and not be scared about that and that's the that's arguably the harder thing to get right in the platform because it's not within our control we can only say to people this is what we think you should do but that's what gives people the most meaningful experience and that's what our our, our job as a company is is to promote that mission and to promote the voices of the people that don't necessarily um, or can't necessarily amplify that at scale to say, we want our data, we need our data, here's the benefits of us getting that data. I don't know if there's anything I've missed there, Mo, that you... The, the, the only thing I'll um, add, Sally, is as you talk about the importance of the data, is one user experience we also care about, Pad, is the developer user experience. So it's having a, a wiki that 
shows all our APIs and shows code samples and that the APIs are increasingly file ones. So they're standard, easy to understand syntax with code walkthroughs because we would like it to make, make it as easy as possible for engineers to use the APIs to then create entirely new user experiences for the, for the patients and professionals. Uh, so it's, it's not just the direct PKB user experience, but it's the developers who then build other user experiences that matter as well. Yeah, intriguing. Um, yeah, and that's that's a, an angle that I hadn't thought about it from. So yeah, really, really useful insights. So we're, we're, we're sort of running short on time and I, I've got one final question to, to ask you guys. And again, it's been it's been drip fed throughout the throughout the conversation around your mission, your social purpose and, and that sort of piece. So, yeah, a really interesting topic of conversation is around yeah, social value and sustainability. And yeah, Sally, you spoke about this yesterday at the, at the Tech UK event that we both attended in the challenges that this can pose from a public sector procurement perspective in as much as anything else. Um, I know that Patients Know Best is a certified B Corp and what that entails from a social value perspective. I think I've been long intrigued by B Corp and the positive impact that that can have on an organization and, and importantly, its employees. Can you give the listeners an insight as to why you chose to pursue B Corp certification and the impact that it's had on your business? No, this was you. You started B Corp before I was even at the business. So I've got so many positive things to say, but I only want to start with our our kind of journey and, and, and why you wanted us to be a B Corp in the first place. Uh, so this started, uh, we started in 2008 and uh, I was told in that year by um, Unlimited, which, which backs social enterprises, that we were a social enterprise. I didn't know what the word meant, but they said, when I kind of explained to them the, the model and the business approach, uh, what you're doing is a social enterprise. Um, it, in many ways, uh, what you're doing comes across as commercially silly, but you're trying to do it because of the social benefit. So that's a social enterprise. Um, now, when we started, so we then began baking that in, uh, but the, the legal tools around uh, social enterprises back then weren't very good. They didn't allow you to get investment. Um, and so I, I baked it into how the company ran, but not um, uh, in a way that uh, was great for investors until B Corp came to the UK. I've been watching them for years and what they were doing uh, around uh, US organizations who want to do the right thing uh, as they scale up. Uh, and I was waiting for them to come to the UK and uh, they gave me a book about what they were doing and they said we're going to launch in September 2015. So this was um, the start of 2015 and I just saw it's Christmas 2014. I remember calling my co-founder Ian saying, right, I'd like us to be a B Corp. And I, I'll spare you the, the, the feedback that I received around uh, bandwidth and um, how much we can go through this because there's, there's quite a lot of bureaucracy and we were only a 20 person team at the time. Um, but I said, look, we're, we're part of that trust again, which is um, I, I think we're going to work with government scale contracts and they need to know in an internationally uh, explainable way, not just Mo waving his hands way, that this is being run in the right way. Uh, and so it is a lot of documentation, uh, but I think it's worth going through. Uh, and 
to the credit of the B Corp team, um, where the documentation wasn't correct, um, they, they, they changed it. Uh, and uh, where we found it difficult, they said, well, let me give you some help. Here's how you, this other company has done it. Let me give you some, here's a consultant who can help you and so on. So they really tried to raise the industry with them. Uh, so it was a mad uh, few months, um, but just two things that uh, happened immediately. One, because we're getting that B Corp, Corp certification 2015, that was at the same time as we were getting our first population scale contract, Northwest London. And they specifically said, we, you know, we are going to trust you with 2.4 million people's data. We need to be able to explain to all our stakeholders, including patients, uh, how you're doing the right thing. Uh, and so they followed very closely our B Corp certification. Wow. Uh, and then we were also getting investment that year. And I told the investors up front, we're going to do this because it was going to change the articles of association. And uh, most investors uh, said, good luck, goodbye. And the one investor that says, uh, not only are they tolerating, but actually, no, you're doing the right thing. That was really great to um, work with Mark Evans because he spotted that we had alignment uh, around the social mission is also the financial mission. They line up perfectly. And so it allowed us to select and be chosen by the, the right investors. Um, and then we were very proud to stand on stage with them in September 2015 um, as with the first cohort of UK B Corps. Uh, so I, I think you you joined shortly after that, didn't you? I think I did. I did. Yes, yeah. I joined in 2016. So not not long, not long after that. Um, and I think my the thing that B Corp is for me or, or what it does for us as a company is um, really helps us attract the right people. So we talked a lot at the start around trust and, you know, the integrity of the company and the security of, of what we do. And actually the biggest, again, we, we were talking about this before we started, weren't we, Pad? And I said, the biggest asset we've got in our company is our, our people. We have, you know, we're not a huge company, but the people we've got are incredible. We have some incredibly intelligent individuals, but more than that, we have people that really care about our mission as a company and believe in our mission and back our mission. And one of the reasons we've been able to recruit such a fantastic pool of individual individuals in to help us achieve that mission is because they see stuff like the fact that we are a B Corp and they really believe that this is not a company that's doing this as a tick box exercise. They really believe in what they're trying to do, not just for you know the core product and, and our mission for the company, but also the way that we are running the company. And actually every time we do the B Corp certification, um, we did our last one, I think it was two two years ago, now the last time we went through it, myself and Alex, who heads up our HR, we went through this and said, okay, this is great. We've got loads of things that we want to improve on. And that doesn't necessarily mean we can do them all tomorrow. You know, finances don't always allow that or the size of the company doesn't always allow that. But at least it gives us a really good roadmap that we genuinely want to grow the company against. And we can show our staff that we we care and we can keep um, recruiting people in, that that is important for them. And then we've got the right people around us that we trust and can trust us. And that creates such a wonderful culture within within the company. So just so, so many benefits for everyone when you do something like B Corp or you believe in uh, social impact and, and properly apply that within your company, not because you've been told to, but because you 
believe in doing it. Yeah, as a yeah, small example, that... Pat, Sally mentioned it in the job interview when she came. Uh, so it, oh, it, well. it, it, it attracts fantastic people. So, mm. so yeah, I think you're, you're right. It's that, it's that cultural alignment piece. That's what I've, I've always heard and what I've read into in the research, the research that I've, that I've done. So yeah, in, intriguing to, to get your guys' take on it. So thank you so much. I'm gutted to say that that is all we have time for uh, today. It's, it's been, it's been great. So um, I just want to say thank you ever so much to you both, Sally and Mohammed, for, for joining us on, uh, on this week's episode and, and for sharing your views on the world of digital health. Um, to hear more from Mohammed and Sally and the Patients Know Best team, you can find them on Twitter and on LinkedIn, and we'll share those handles uh, with this podcast. So I've been your host, Pat Burns, Healthcare Growth Director at 6B Digital. I'm also on LinkedIn and on Twitter if you would like to connect with me. And thank you ever so much for listening to the latest episode of Digital Health Matters. And remember, if you want to hear more thoughts from leading figures in the world of digital health, the easiest way to do so is to subscribe on Spotify, SoundCloud or YouTube so that you don't miss out. And we'll see you next time.